welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I am excited. You listen all the way through the episode, or if you just want to fast forward to the end, I'm going to start posting opportunities for A, practice ownership, and B, associateships with folks that I know around the country that are doing great things. And I'm going to do a quick read of the opportunity, have links in the show notes to those opportunities. And I hope for someone out there, it can be a great connection to find either that practice ownership dream opportunity and or a great associateship that leads to the balance, the work life that you're looking for. So with that, excited to launch that. There will be more over time as more owners start uh, reaching out, but I am excited to do that. So check that out at the end. Don't leave too fast after the guest wraps up. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. Today, I'm joined by Andy Schoonover, CEO of CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a crowd-sharing solution to healthcare, allowing individuals and families to take care of their healthcare needs. I love the tagline, Andy, that healthcare simplified, because we all know that healthcare is confusing as all get out. But thank you for joining me and excited to chat through this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's an interesting thing when you think about kind of vet medicine versus human medicine and just the different ways we pay for this. One being fairly efficient and one being very inefficient. So I'm really excited about getting into it. Absolutely. Well, I was debating on how I wanted to start it and you kind of dangled the carrot out there. So let's talk a little bit about, so (laughs) you think of, because I want to get into your background and like what is crowd health, but I think it's a really interesting when we chatted and connected before it was all about, hey, human health is driven by basically insurance. And then you look at veterinary medicine and right now, penetration and insurance is really low. And folks will look to the UK and say, hey, their model, they have a lot more insurance. We chatted through that and you're like, I don't know if it's such a great thing to then have this dominated insurance controlled environment. And I've had podcasts of you know promoting the benefits and why insurance is great for standard of care and all this other stuff. But I would love to kind of hear what you've seen on the human health side. And then when you think about having that autonomy, and I think that's the key word, right? The autonomy on the veterinary side to say, you know what, I'm going to have this conversation direct and then we can make decisions versus having to maybe ask for permission to provide the right kind of care. But I'll tee that up and let you take it any direction you want to. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, I'm trying to bring healthcare the vet med way, whereas I know a lot of the veterinarians are trying to bring it the human health kind of way. And so it's kind of interesting. And maybe there's a place in between where we can settle. But I've been in healthcare for a while, about 20 years. This is my second run at healthcare. And after my first one, I sold my first company a few years back and came off that and didn't have health insurance because most of us get health insurance through our employer. And um, so I went to healthcare.gov. I got a plan for me, my wife and my two girls, and it was 1200 bucks a month with a big old deductible. And I kind of joke it worked until I had to use it. My little one was having recurring ear infections. And so we went to the ear, nose and throat doc who said that she had to get a tubes in her ear. So we went to the hospital, got tubes in her ear. So it was 15 minute procedure and it was $8,000 for 15 minutes. I was just like blown away. Like that was the cost of this thing. And I was like, okay, well, you know, this is why I have health insurance. And so little did I know a few weeks later, I got a note in the mail saying they thought it was medically unnecessary. So the health insurance plan wasn't going to pay for it. 
And so they ultimately stuck me with an $8,000 bill. And so I had to write that check to the local hospital and I was pissed. And I was kind of like, man, there's gotta be a different way to do this. There's gotta be a way for families to operate without having health insurance. And so ultimately what we've done is put together a set of tools to allow people to operate without health insurance. And so me and my family have been uninsured for, I think it's been two and a half years now and delightfully. So there's no restrictions and things like that. And the culmination of these tools was crowd health. And we started that company almost two years ago and have been running with allowing people to operate outside of health insurance. And so it's gone great. And ultimately when I tell that story, people are like, oh, well, how do others and kind of stakeholders in healthcare feel about this? And the way that we kind of look at this is doctors love us. You know, they're probably our biggest fans because they're getting paid in cash on the day of care, as opposed to having to bill health insurance companies and get approval from health insurance companies and then waiting 90 or 120 days to actually get paid by health insurance companies. And so, you know, these docs are just loving what we're doing and are asking us, please, please send more people our way because we want to get paid in cash as opposed to having to get paid through health insurance companies. And so, you know, that's quite a, a quick story of how we got here and how we're impacting docs. But ultimately, what we've been able to do is say, hey, docs, if I pay you on the day of care, so you don't have to deal with any of that other expense, you know, related to billing, will you give us a better price? And the doc said, yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes we're getting 30 or 40% or more price reductions because they're getting cash on the day of, and they just don't have to deal with any of that other stuff. So you know, long story short is docs are loving us and love getting paid in cash. Yeah. And I guess talking about how it works today. So I'm going to shelf the vet med versus human health. We'll come back to that in a second, but in your own words, so you kind of describe what you do, like how mm -hmm. does it work as an individual? So I go and I'm looking during open enrollment. I go to, you know, the marketplace and I'm like, Oh, none of these plans look great to what you said. Maybe I've been burned by them in the past, but it seems really scary to say, Oh, I'm uninsured, right? Like there's this fear of like, Oh, well then this thing happens and you're going to get stuck with this massive bill. Right. And you're going to be out of your house, you're going to be bankrupt. There's no way that you're going to pay for this. So how does crowd health actually, so it is just the idea of being able to pay in cash and pay sooner and be more, let's call it efficient versus this archaic, strange web of care. Can you kind of walk through how it actually works for someone? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so ultimately what we do is for 175 bucks a month, if you're over the age of 55, it's a little bit more than that. But for 175 bucks a month, we open an account for you. And so every month, instead of sending your money to an insurance plan, you put money into this account. We take $40 out of that account for our subscription fee, the remaining, and that's the only way we make money. And then the remainder is left in your account and that accumulates over time. So let's just say that Mark breaks his arm and it's $5,000. Mark would pay the first 500 bucks of that. And then crowd health would crowdfund the remaining $4,500 of that from our group of people who have those accounts ready to help. Right? So we would ask 45 people for a hundred bucks each out of that account that they have with us. And if they say yes, then a hundred dollars goes from their account to Mark's account. And then ultimately Mark will have that $5,000 so that he can go in and pay his doctor directly $5,000. Question then is like, okay, so why would I give to Mark? You know, I don't know Mark. He probably doesn't live in my city. It's a broken arm. It's not like this heart tugger, you know, it's like not childhood cancer or something, right? Well, when Mark asks for the crowdfunding request, we will see if Mark has been a good member of the community. So let's just say the last 10 times Mark has said, yes, 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 right? And so I'm more willing to give to Mark because he's been a good member of the community. If Mark has said, no, 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 right, then he's been not a good member of the community. And so I'm not going to give to Mark. And in the same way, if then I were to get, ask for a health event to get funded, then they would see my list of yeses or nos, right? And so there's this sense of community that is driving this. You know, it's just like your neighbor, right? Like you have good neighbors that I'm sure you would step up and help out. And there's ones that you may pause before you step up to help that neighbor. So we really think this community aspect is a really important part of this. And so over the last year and a half, we've crowdfunded, I think it was just, we're up to twelve or 1,300 bills thus far. And every bill that's been submitted by a good member of the community has gotten crowdfunded. And those ranged from 
I think a $57 pediatric bill to a $160,000, I think it was $157,000 brain hemorrhage. We got a couple of cancer cases right now that we've had no problem crowdfunding. And so it's really an effective way to do this that's not burdensome like the health insurance system. So, you know, there's no networks. You don't have to worry about if somebody's in network or out of network or any of that kind of stuff. No huge deductibles. And so it's just an easier way to pay for healthcare. And ultimately it'd be it's about fifty percent less than the alternatives out there because we are getting such great rates. Interesting. And so obviously the goal is the community is big enough where those costs are so low. Early on, it's tricky to be like, okay, you're one of the first 10 people on the platform. Like, how do you do that over two years? Like as you grow, right, it's much easier to crowdsource that $150,000, brain hemorrhage uh, bill, which is what? In our membership now. So it's not like you're in a community of 10. We have thousands and growing by 20 or 30 a day. So we're expanding pretty quickly and we've got it a big enough community now where, you know, look, I, we're not insurance, so I can't promise you that bills will get paid. And here's kind of the crazy thing about health insurance is that health insurance companies can promise that your bills are going to get paid. However, about one in five bills on healthcare.gov's health plans are declined. So you have a almost a one in five chance of getting declined by one of these healthcare.gov health plans. And I was one of them and it cost me eight grand. Right. And mm-hmm. so I actually think it's way more risky going on these health plans than it is going on on crowd health. But we can't promise you that your bills are going to be paid. And ultimately, you are responsible for your own health care bill. Just like the folks listening, the member who's got a dog who has $5,000 surgery, whatever is they're responsible for that surgery. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of making the personal responsibility a big component of this. So you have the event and you submit. Like, are they having to come up and pay that and then it's a reimbursement or is it actually a direct payment too? Yeah. So there's a couple of different kind of buckets here. One is like, I tear my ACL and it's a scheduled surgery, right? Or I need a hip replacement. It's a scheduled surgery. So what we do is we'll actually crowdfund that before the surgery so that that doctor can get paid on the day of the surgery for that surgery. The other one is like an ER event, right? If you go to the ER then you typically what's going to happen is you go to the ER and they will bill you 30, 60, 90 days later. And so what you do is you'd submit those bills to us. We would run through them, make sure that they are right. And then we'll negotiate with the hospital to get you a really good rate on that because the hospitals actually have to negotiate with you on those bills. And very few people know that, but we'll negotiate on your behalf and then get a really great price. We will crowdfund it. And then you will then have enough money in your account to pay that bill directly. For like little OBGYN visits or pediatric visits or urgent care or things like that, yeah, you pay up front and you submit that bill to us and then we go crowdfund it. But typically those bills are 500 bucks or less. That's what I was going to ask on some of the smaller, like you think about a deductible, right? With traditional health insurance, do you just mm-hmm. kind of suggest members just pay that out of their account? Do they submit everything? Are there any rules around that? I know you mentioned the $57 pediatric bill. It seems like that would be one small enough where you'd be like, hey, just pay that one out of your account or how do you approach that? We just think that these wellness events are important. Like we think that kids should go see the pediatrician. We think that women should go see their OBGYN on an annual basis. And I'm probably really bad at this. I'm a 43-year-old male. I I haven't seen a primary care doc in a long time, but I probably should. So we, we want people to go and do those types of things. And so... We'll actually crowdfund one wellness visit per person per year. And so that's where some of these little ones come into play. So if you have four people in your family, each one of those people get one wellness visit that we will crowdfund for you. And we kind of waive that initial $500 responsibility. So there are some little ones that pop up, but we think it's valuable that the kiddos go and see their pediatrician, for example. Sure. And then I had kind of tried to, and I'm going to make a little bit of a joke slash pun. I tried to crowdsource questions for us to go through because I think when people hear this, like, oh, it seems like a really good idea, but, 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 right. I'm sure you you and your team, when people are interested, (laughs) they're always going to ask, right? You've kind of answered them already, but it's like, how can you be confident on the promises made that this organization or this group of people are going to pay? And you you mentioned like, if you're a good member, you're going to see that come back to you. Are there any cases of someone being a bad member? I guess I'll ask that question where they've always said no and you've had to reject stuff. And 
you know, is there... We've had some bad members. Okay. I was going to say, is yeah, there some I mean, scoring I mean, rubric or yeah, some guidelines yeah. on that? And so in essence, what, what happens is it's, we give you the scoring for those who are good at math out there. It's basically the amount that you've agreed to pay for over the amount that you've been asked for. So let's just say you've been asked for $1,000 over a period of a year or whatever, right? And you've actually said yes to 700 and you have a 70 score. And then the way that we do that, though, is if you have an under 95 score and you say no to somebody else, then we don't actually count that as a part of the denominator, right? Meaning like you're not hurt if you say no to a bad member of the community, a member of the community who's not giving. And so that's the way that that works. And it's a little bit different, right? Then, But you know what we've done is we kind of took this from Uber and eBay and Amazon and all these companies who've got these kind of reputation scores that like, look, if an Uber driver shows up and he's got a one star, I'm not getting in that car, <laughs> you yeah. know, nor am I going to do business with somebody on eBay who's got, you know, two stars. Right. And so we've kind of used that to help us kind of score other members of the community. And we actually have a buyer score also. So are you willing to allow us to negotiate on your behalf? for the community or are you going to the Mayo Clinic for a flu, right? Like if you have to go to the orthopedic surgeon that does all of the Dallas Cowboys knees, right? And his knee replacement is 50 grand and we have a doctor who's just as good, but we'll do it for 12 grand. Then we think that the community should know that before they accept paying for that bill or helping them pay for that bill. So there are some tools internally that we're using to help people really kind of understand, are these people being good members of the community or not good members of the community? And it's definitely different than health insurance, but it's like, look, you say you're going to save a lot of money and the experience is way, way better. So if you're willing to get about one request a month, we send our members about one crowdfunding request per month. If you're willing to do that and look at that email and make an assessment and take just a small action then you're our type of person. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And then thinking about, so you talked about what you pay per month and I would assume it's different if you're single versus family and, and you know, that kind of probably scales with the amount of people that you're trying to cover from that crowdsourcing piece. But then that, yeah. those it's, funds- It's 175 a month and then it's 695 a month for uh, families. Got it. But four or so, more. Four more. Okay. And then from the standpoint of the funds that go in, does that sit in a big pooled account? Does it sit in cash? Like what happens to the funds from that standpoint? Yeah, they're in your account. So it's your account. And starting in about two weeks, everybody is required as a part of sign up to have their own individual FDIC insured account that we start for them when you sign up. So it's in your name, it's your account. So when you leave, that's the other cool thing is when you leave, you actually can take that money with you. So it's not gone into the health insurance ether. It's like, it's yours, it's your money. And so that's a, you know really a cool component of how we operate. It's kind of like a uh, health savings account, right? If you don't use it, it's yours and it's portable and you can take it anywhere. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, and it's the way I've explained it in the past and some people I think it resonates. It's like a healthy savings account, but a health savings account you use on yourself. This is, you know, it's like a health generosity account. Like it's you're helping others with that money you get an opportunity to help other people with that money. And so it's kind of cool. You know, look, I, I think that one of the really cool parts about this, and I love it because I'm actually knowing where my money is going. We had a few months ago, a woman in Tennessee, 19 year old who got her hand caught in the prop of a boat and it severed four of her fingers. Hmm. And so we went out and we crowdfunded that. And it was a big bill. I think it was you know, 60 grand or something like that. We crowdfunded it and we had people come back in that crowdfund, you know exactly what happened, right? Uh, we don't give the name for HIPAA reasons, privacy reasons, but we actually had people come back and say, hey, I want to give more to this person. Like, can I give more, right? And to me, you would never see that within the health insurance game. It's not like your health insurance plan says, hey, you know, it's a thousand bucks a month for your premium. You're not like, you know what? I just want to help more people. Can I give 1100 to y'all? Like, it just doesn't happen, Right. And so I think it's cool because we're kind of bringing humanity back to healthcare as opposed to this kind of cold organization in which you send your check to every month. Like you're sending your money directly to a woman in Tennessee who is going through a really tough time. Or a few weeks ago, we had a miscarriage. We had the exact same thing happen. People are like, can I help this person? Like, 
And that's where I feel like we need to get community back into healthcare because look, hundreds of years ago, if somebody in your community got hurt, you would rally around that person and help them and plow their field if they needed their field plowed because they wouldn't be able to feed their family if somebody didn't come in and help. And so I just love that component of what we do. And it really does bring back some humanity to this. It's really interesting to see kind of the impact and effect of seeing what's going on and having transparency and clarity of where the money goes and how people react to that. It's really There's a behavioral component to this also, for sure, right? Because we all think that we're getting screwed by health insurance. I mean, it's, I think Gallup, if somebody did like the top list of most hated industries, and it was like government was one, health insurance was two, and pharma was three, is something like that, right? It's like, we all think we're getting screwed by health insurance. And so if we have to use it, we have a tendency to extract as much value out of the system as possible, right? Because it's a health insurance plan that we're extracting value from. And this, it's like, no, you're actually extracting value from another human being who really wants to help you. (laughs) And so there are like human beings on the other side of this that are actually paying their own money directly to you to do this. And so I think there's a behavioral component that if we can fix in healthcare, it could change the game. Yeah, well, and if you look at, some studies and I'm by no means the foremost expert on this. And I'm sure you and the team have seen, but it's like the doctor compensation versus the admin over the last, what, 20 or so years. Like when you look at hospital, like it's insane, the growth and just the admin and like the insurance side of things. And you think about how much they can extract versus you're able to go to the doctor that you want to go to, right? Pay them directly and say, Hey, you've provided me a service. I want to pay you for your time. Cause I do believe that you go into medical school and you have student loans, you have bills. You need to pay for that. Like you shouldn't expect it to necessarily be free. I know some people may want it to be free, but there's issues with that as well. It just changes it, right? You can pick who you want to go to and pay them. And I get it from a clinician side. Why not? You could run a really cool business and just be like, Hey, I want to work with folks within crowd health and I want them to come and pay me directly for what I do. And yeah. that's interesting. Do you see there's this real quick, there's this graph and I, maybe this is what you're referring to. There's this graph that's kind of been shown on Twitter and it's on our joint crowd health Twitter account. If anybody wants to check it out, but it's, I think it starts in like the 1960s and it goes up to 2020 and it shows the growth of docs or physicians. And it's basically is growing in line with just population growth. You know, it's a couple percent a year or something like that over a long period of time. And then the administrators they kind of layer administrators on that. And the administrator, the number of people in the administration goes up like 50 fold over that time. I mean, it's nuts the amount of administration that we have in healthcare now. And most of that's because of, of health insurance. So what I, when I talk to docs, they say, I have about one billing person per doctor just to get paid. Right. And that's, that's kind of like a, a warning shot to vets, right? It's like, do you want to have a bunch of admin people in your office trying to get paid by insurance companies? I know it's kind of a reimbursement model in the insurance space now, but ultimately what will happen once some of these insurance companies on the vet side get scale is you're going to have to start billing them. And that's not a path I think anybody wants to go down because all the docs I've talked to, it just sucks the life out of them dealing with health insurance companies. They want to take care of human beings on the human med side and, and y'all just want to take care of people's pets, right? On the vet side. I know you do a lot more than that, but I'm, you know what I'm saying? Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, no. Um, it makes like that's where your passion sense. is. That's why you're doing this and not to like fight with health insurance companies, you know, spend 30% of your time fighting health insurance companies. I mean, it's just not a valuable thing for y'all to be doing. Yeah. And I think listeners of the podcast know that I work in the dental space as well. And dental insurance is real. And so for dental insurance, right, like their profit margin is all dictated on how much they have to pay out to the dentist that they work with. And I had a dentist recently that looked at one of the big, well-known dental insurance companies. And he was like, I'm giving up about 37%. If I charge $100, right, like I'm taking a haircut of 37% on that. And it's like a reframe of saying, well, if you accept this insurance, it's more like marketing to make sure people come to you. And so you're seeing it there where they're trying to go to this fee for service, which is basically what we're talking about here. And again, getting back to that, you pay directly who you see that peer to peer pay for the medical care that you want versus it going and then getting reimbursed and this and that, and this is acceptable. This isn't, and you do this. It's just confusing because yeah, they have someone in their office that has to do just billing. And it's like, 
can it be more efficient? And the answer is absolutely. And so I think your kind of warning on the veterinary medicine side is very interesting. I never really thought about to each other before, you know, kind of pre-recording. It was like, yeah, that's really, I think, sage advice where you can charge what you think you need to charge. So you can run a really good business and give the best pricing versus having to charge more because you know, you're going to have to give discounts and reimbursements. And maybe I won't collect on this and this insurance company's hard, but in my area, this is the one that everyone uses. Right. And it just gets so frustrating for, I think everyone involved at that point, but you're right. It's going to end up going direct because the consumers don't want to deal with it. So they're going to say, Hey, can you just do this directly? And that's where the push is going to come from. Yeah. Or the insurance companies are going to come back and they're going to say, they know that X vet right, has 30% of their members using me. And so I'm going to go to that vet and I'm going to say, hey, instead now of the members having to seek reimbursement, I'm going to pay you directly, but you're going to have to bill me for it, right? Like, ultimately, that's what's going to happen. And that's kind of what happened in health insurance over the last, you know, 60 or 70 years is it started with a reimbursement model, they got scale. And I mean, you can kind of look at the playbook here from the 70s and the 80s of how this went down actually started in the 60s how this went down so if not careful vets are on the path of medical docs and talk to your medical doc friends and say how is it dealing with health insurance you know you're a decade or two away from that probably so it's be careful kind of where you step because it's a bit of a slippery slippery slope right and kind of bringing in some of these economic terms but i know you're a bitcoin guy i'm a bitcoin guy too right like I think that should take a low time preference approach here, which is, yes, there is probably some pieces of candy here that you can have early by accepting insurance and getting paid and having it as marketing and things like that. But it's going to impact you over a longer period of term in a negative way, as opposed to just accepting cash now and not getting into the insurance game. So we'll see where we are in a decade or two on the vet side. But my guess is it's going to head the same way as, as health insurance unless vets stand up to it. Yep. Yeah. That's really, really interesting to think about. And it's like, you want the best care so people can say yes to care. Cause you know, yeah, better medicine's expensive. Right. And they want the owners to be able to say, you know what, put some money aside and be able to pay for this so that your pet gets the best care. And it's not this surprise bill. So it all makes sense. And it can be, like you said, it's like the Trojan horse of, of saying, hey, better care, it's coming and you can do this and you can leverage insurance. And then it's like all of a sudden it gets inside the city walls and you're like, ooh, we don't like what this turned out to be. All of a sudden there's lots of ramifications that you didn't really think through on the second and third kind of layer here. So I think other places in our life too, right? Like if you have big expenses for this, you figure you can figure out a way to pay for it if it's really important to you. And I don't know, and, and you know this and your listeners know this way better than I do. I don't know. Is there a twenty-five or fifty thousand dollar vet bill? I know that they can get into thousands of dollars, but I'm not sure there's twenty-five, fifty, hundred thousand dollar bills like they have on the human side, right? And so, there seems to me to be a way where you can use some kind of other financial instruments to help you pay for some of these big events if you really want that five thousand or ten thousand dollar surgery. And so, I just think there's alternative ways to do this that are much better ultimately for the vet and the end user. So my two cents, well, although I will tell you, I, I don't know the first thing about vets. I got two pups. We go and we pay and love our vet, but thankfully, thank God, haven't had any of the big events to date. So I don't know exactly how that is. Y'all have to give me grace on not totally sure. understanding how y'all operate. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of truth to that. And I think there's payment plan options or different ways to look at that. So yeah, there's not going to be nearly as many. And most people listening to this are not having those kind of, I can't say never because there probably is somewhere where there's been a bill that big from a specialist or something that's been wild. But yeah, for most people, it's not, you know, the, the ACL surgery, as we talked about earlier, the five or $6,000 ACL surgery is going to be the big one for someone's dog. But I wanted to kind of get back to chatting on thinking through questions that I had people ask me. And the one is like, what about prescriptions, right? So mm -hmm. if I may crowd health member? How do I think about prescriptions and how do we leverage it? Do you look at like a good RX and try to do it that route? Just like bring costs down. Give me a little bit of information on that. Cause I know that was a question I had come up. It was interesting. I was talking to a buddy the other day. He's like, man, you know, I, I would love to join crowd health, but I'm on a thousand dollar a month prescription that I have to do. And I was like, what is it? And so I went into our app and I looked it up and it was like, $70 or something. His insurance mm. plan was paying a thousand bucks, but we could get it for about 70 bucks. 
And so part of that is, look, if you have pre-existing conditions, then we ask you to own your own pre-existing condition for the first two years. And then we will crowdfund up to $25,000 of that pre-existing condition thereafter. And so if you're on prescriptions, most of the time you can get them for significantly cheaper than what you think you can get them for. You can use GoodRx, you can use some of the tools that we have. And even for the really, really expensive ones, if you are uninsured, like all of us are, the pharmaceutical companies actually have really great programs for people who are uninsured to get these meds at a significantly lower cost. If you have a health event, let's just say ACL tear or whatever, right? And part of that is prescription. Actually, we had a brain hemorrhage member who had to have some longer term medications to help with that. Then that is a part of that same health event, right? So that prescription can last six months or whatever that you're on it. Those prescriptions, all the doctor visits, all the hospital visits, all of those things are considered one health event. So our member paid the first 500 of that, and then we crowdfunded everything else. And so those prescriptions would be included in that health event. Okay, perfect. Thanks for that explanation. That makes sense on kind of the, the structure of that. Yeah. And same thing for, we have, like I said, we have a couple of cancer patients and one has colon cancer, another one has an ovarian cancer. And so that cancer is one health event. So they will pay 500 bucks and then we will crowdfunding anything else related to that health event, which is, I went on healthcare.gov the other day just to see like what's out there. Right. And it was from my family is 1100 bucks and then a $15,000 deductible. That was the lowest one I could get. And so there's no $15,000 deductibles in what we do. You know, it's like, if you have a health event, it's 500 bucks going to the ER, 500 bucks, cancer, 500 bucks. Right. And so it's just super easy. And unless you have 50 health events, which God forbid, you live a tough life if you have 50 health events in one year, you will never come close to those huge deductibles that some of these health plans are offering. Yeah. Veterinary medicine is, it's had a lot of challenges from a mental health perspective. And so I had some questions on basically those that deal with depression, anxiety, like is counseling included in that? Is that something they, mm -hmm. they cover? Like, how do you think about from the mental health piece with crowd health? Yeah. Unlimited talk therapy. So unlimited counseling sessions are included and you don't even have to pay the 500 bucks for that one. So we've got a platform in which you can have virtual therapy visits as many as you want. And those are all included in your subscription. So wow. that's a great part of what we do. And so like one of the other things within veterinary medicine is kind of like this telemedicine focus. And then you see it the same way on the human health side. I would assume that's the same thing. If you have a doctor visit that's telemedicine, it's just put it in as an expense or if it's the you know deductible amount, then it's mm -hmm. just is what it is. Or is that yeah. looked at differently? Sure. No, it's, it's very similar. So we have virtual primary care. So if you go see the primary care doc virtually, that's included. So you don't even have to pay for that. We include that in our subscription virtual urgent care. So if you have something urgent that pops up and you're like, man, I don't know if I need to go to you know, the ER or urgent care or whatever, you know, you can pop on our virtual urgent care and you can get a doc almost right away to talk to you about what's going on. And then, then again, that talk therapy, I'm, I'm calling it emotional health. You can have as limited number of therapy visits per month as a part of our subscription also. And the way that we do that is we just pay these vendors on a kind of a per member per month basis to give all of our members full access as much as they want to those platforms. So we got a platform of primary care docs and a platform of counselors and a platform of kind of urgent care ER docs that will take calls from our members. And, and so it's a really great part of our service, I think, is it's just, that's all included. You don't have to worry about paying any more for that. Hmm. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Interesting. One of the other things we talked about is I'm a small business owner. It's really yeah, impossible. Sure. <laughs> Not impossible, just really <laughs> expensive. Let's just call it what it is to then offer this benefit to my team, right? And so, how do you you work with a lot of small business owners? Because I look at crowd health as like for a ten ninety nine. So in vet med, there's a lot of folks doing relief work. Well, they'll go to different hospitals or clinics, and they're just getting paid ten ninety nine. So they don't get the benefits, but they can charge a little bit more. To me, this seems like a great fit. And we have people that are always asking, like, "Hey, what do I do with health insurance?" But I also look at the local veterinary practice that has eight to twelve people. You know, they're not going to go get this really good discount on health insurance. Do you see small business owners inquiring? And then how do they typically look at working with you all? And I guess I would just love to hear a little bit on your thoughts there. Yeah, this is a great solution for 1099s. 
solopreneurs, gig workers, you know, anybody who's getting paid in 1099 is, it's a great option because there are other options out there kind of stink candidly in terms of getting healthcare off of healthcare.gov or one of these short-term plans or something like that. You know, and then for small business owners, we do work with a bunch of small business owners. And so we can't contract directly with the business. But what we have found is that some of these small business owners, instead of like going out and getting really expensive insurance plans and then having to re-up every single month and getting these big price increases and having to worry about all that kind of stuff. Because, hey, look, if you have under 50 employees, which I'm assuming most of these vets do, then why don't you give your employee just a monthly healthcare stipend? to go and get themselves healthcare. So for us, it's 175 bucks for anybody 55 and under. You know, even if it's tax adjusted, you can give your employee like 300 bucks a month and you, they could go and get crowd health and they can get their healthcare taken care of. So that's the way that we work with some of these smaller businesses. And we've got a lot of them. And actually our number one group of folks are business owners. They're small business owners. They don't want to go get really expensive health insurance. This is a great alternative for them. So we think that's a great alternative for actually small business owners to give to their employees. And in, in essence, what you're doing is you're just giving them a raise, but it kind of looks like a, you know, a health insurance or a healthcare stipend. And it actually works really, really well. Yeah. I love that. It's a really good option because I know one of the big challenges, just like in a lot of industries, right, is this consolidation. So you see outside corporate entities that are backed by private equity, venture capital that have raised a lot of money come in and they're buying up clinics. And they're, it's a good thing because it allows for benefits for those frontline workers. But as in the private business that maybe hasn't traditionally offered it, puts you in a, a tight spot where you're kind of like, how do I still take care of my people? Because I care about them, but also have profits to be able to be sustainable. And I think health insurance is one that you ask any owner and they say, absolutely, I want to offer it. The challenge is, well, it's just so darn expensive. I have to shell out X for this. And so that was one thing when we kind of connected initially. And when I heard about it, I was like, Ooh, I think this could be a really interesting fit. So yeah, thank you for kind of outlining that. What's a question that you get a lot that maybe you haven't asked yet. Is there anything that you're like, this is a, you know, try to be as inquisitive as possible, but I'm sure there's something that I'm missing that you're like, yep, I hear this a lot. And this is the answer. Everybody asks, and we kind of talked a little bit about this, but I'll, I think it should be a little bit more detailed is everybody asks, what about the big one? You know, what about the million dollar health event, right? What about the NICU baby who's in there for 60 or 90 days and you get a million dollar bill? And this is why like, I love our model so much is because we actually, kind of like I said, with the emergency room visits, we actually negotiate on your behalf. And so we put out something the other day on Twitter that we did the calculation. And for bills above $1,000, we've actually been able to negotiate those bills down by an average of 72% wow. versus what the health plans pay, right? And so that NICU baby, that's a million dollars. In essence, what we would do is we would negotiate that down. Let's just say we negotiate it down to 300000 Remember, you're ultimately responsible for that $300,000 bill, and that sounds scary, but it also helps you negotiate down that bill so much because the hospital has a decision to make, right? They can go after you or they can actually negotiate with you, and there's actually a law that says they have to negotiate with you. And we have attorneys on our side that will help like negotiate these for you. And so we'll get that down to like $300,000, and then the other great thing is they'll say, okay, well just pay us 10 grand a month for 30 months, right? And so if you think of, you have a community of thousands of people, thousands of people can take care of a $10,000 a month bill really, really easily. Like that's not a problem. If it's a 2,500, make the math easy, 2,500 people, that's four bucks a month per person, right? It's like nothing for a massive bill. But United Healthcare would have to pay all million dollars of that within 90 days of it happening. And so that's why we can be way more efficient financially than a United Healthcare. And we can negotiate down these prices way lower than United Healthcare because United Healthcare has a contract. We're, we're human beings that you have to negotiate with. And so we're adding consumerism into healthcare, which is really, really important, I think, to ultimately bend down that healthcare cost curve because there's no way that it costs that hospital a million dollars for you know a baby being in that hospital for 30 or 60 days. That's ridiculous. So that's how we deal with some of those really big health events. And we've done that. We've negotiated some of these really big bills down and it works great. 
So <laughs> that's what most people are worried about is like, what happens if something really, really big happens, <laughs> right? Like, am I toast? My answer to you is we will negotiate them for you. We will be there on your behalf. We'll be your ally. We've got a group of people who have shown in the past to be willing to crowdfund these health events. And so I'm much more confident with a million dollar bill within crowd health than I am with a health insurance company because they're going to do some wily stuff and may accept some of these claims, may not accept some of these other claims. And it's just a total mess. Crowd health makes it super simple on you. Hmm. The natural question that I have is why wouldn't United Health do the same thing, right? Like they're going to be seeking profit. They're publicly traded. They want to grow their earnings per share. They want to pay out bonuses. They want to let stuff. Yeah. Like, why, why, why wouldn't they do that? And I'm sure there's some really good reasons and maybe it's too much for this conversation, but I'm just like, no, why? it's actually very simple. It's very, very simple. I mean, there's two things going on here, right? If you think about health insurance plans and how they make money, what they do is they take in premiums, right? And they pay out claims. And so they get the spread between those two things. And so what does that incentivize them to do? It actually incentivizes them to raise premiums and lower claims. <laughs> yeah. So your insurance company that is supposed to be your agent that is supposed to be working on your behalf actually has an incentive for the premiums to go up and claims to go down, right? So they have an incentive to charge you more and reject more of your healthcare bills. Like that's how screwed up our system is. And so, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago, whenever it was with Obamacare, they thought it was really interesting where they would say, hey, let's limit the amount of profit that health insurance plans can take to 15% of premiums. So if my premium is $1,000 for my family to use easy math, then they can only profit 150 bucks off of me and my family. So given they are for-profit entities and they want their profits to go up, how do they get their profit from 150 to 165, increase it by 10%? Well, they have to increase premium from 1,000 to 1,100. So all the incentives in the health insurance system are for your premiums to go up, not for your premiums to go down. And so that's a long-winded way of saying, if the insurance plans actually tried to hammer these hospitals to get these prices down, their profit would actually go down, right? And so they are disincentivized to do that. And so you've got an insurance company who's the buyer of healthcare, and you've got the hospital systems who are the sellers of healthcare, both wanting your price to go up. And so guess what? Like if the buy and seller want the price to go up, the price is going up. And that's what's screwed up about our healthcare system right now is we have the buyer and seller both wanting the price to go up. Yeah, that's wild. Makes total sense though. You lay it out and it's like, well, yeah, duh, that makes total sense. Interesting. And that's why I was saying is like, I'm sure maybe people listening to this, maybe even work for some of the vet med insurance companies. And I'm sorry for this kind of feel here, but it's like, that's what happens within some of these insurance companies where these incentives are so perverse that ultimately what happens with insurance is prices rise. They don't decline, they rise. And so that's what's going to happen with VetMed, I think, if insurance companies have more seats at the table. Yeah, totally. Anything else that you feel like is really good to make sure we kind of leave listeners with and then I'll close with you getting to ask me any question that you want to ask, which could be all over the place. So anything else from your end on just crowd health, the way that you all are structured that you think is just really important to leave people with? You know, I think the only kind of other thing that's, just more about what we do is we do have a couple limitations. If you're a smoker, we don't allow smokers in the community. If you are over 260, if you're a male and 220, if you're a female, then we ask you to get down to that level before joining the community. Our community is really young right now. We're averaging about 36 BMIs, uh, body mass index is like four or five points lower than the national average. And so, you know, we've got a lot of people who are self-selecting in because it is new, right? And it is if you are driven by fear, you probably will go with health insurance company. And so these people who are a little more risk averse, who tend to be younger, who tend to be male generally are kind of a big chunk of, of what we do. And so, but that also means that you're in a group of people who are sharing expenses that are young and healthy. Generally, we see a lot of active injuries, ACL tears and things like that, because it's 
a bunch of 30 year old guys, you know, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, who are going down the black diamond, you know, ski, whatever, and hurt themselves. And so, but it is a, a healthy community to be a part of. And as of right now, for every hundred dollars that you put into your account, 65% or $65 is left. So we only use 35% of what is in your account currently. And we have people on, that have like five or $6,000 in their account that they've accumulated over a period of time. And they've said yes to every single one of the health events. And so, you know, we just think it's an interesting, different way of paying for healthcare that we think is way more efficient, and effective than your health insurance companies. And if any of the vets or family of vets or employees of vets want to sign up, we do have a code. It's VET, easy to remember, V-E-T. And it's actually 99 bucks for the first three months as opposed to 175. So almost half off. And so we'd love for folks to join us. And I have a heart for animals and I secretly wanted to be a vet uh, when I grew up. I just stunk at biology and chemistry. And so I couldn't, didn't make it, but I have uh, two girls who I'm now rooting on to become vets. So I have a fondness for y'all and, and thank you for what y'all do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, appreciate the code for those that are interested because it is that that time of the year where a lot of people are looking at stuff and yeah definitely want to save where where they can and that's awesome so i'm gonna allow you and i didn't prompt you at the beginning i should have before we clicked record any questions for me it can be off the wall anything that you want to chat on i know we both are bitcoiners so it could be bitcoin related i've been asked about all kinds of weird things but it usually drives some interesting conversation here at the end yeah no man i'm a Bitcoiner. I'm actually headed to El Salvador here in a couple hours to go to a conference out there. And, and El Salvador has basically adopted Bitcoin as a national currency, which is really, really cool. And so I guess, you know, from your perspective, I'd love to hear your pitch to vets, why they should be buying Bitcoin at, you know, what are we at right now? 16,000 or something? Yeah, probably. Why are we buying with FTX just blew up? Over the last five or six days, a lot of hesitation in the market around cryptocurrencies. I don't consider Bitcoin a cryptocurrency, but a lot of kind of a black cloud over some of these digital currencies. Why should your vets be buying Bitcoin? That's such a great question. Yeah, I think ultimately, if someone understands what Bitcoin is, which it's just better money that you can actually hold, keep, and no one can kind of take that or censor it, that is really, really powerful. And I think you can look at it in a couple ways. As an individual, how do you save the value that you create? Bitcoin allows you to do that. Historically, if you look over time, if I save into a, something that is a fixed supply that they can't create more of, the energy that I put into taking care of the animals and the people in my practice, I can actually save that and no one can create more of it. Whereas right now, the dollar, I mean, it's up to a handful of people to decide how many you know units are in circulation. They can create more at any time. And so what does that tell you about the value of your time? It's useless. If I can go create more of whatever it is that you make and you get paid in. And so money is literally just stored energy. And I think Michael Saylor talks about that. And that's one thing that I've always really appreciated. It kind of shifted my mindset there is, yeah, when you spend time away from your family and friends and these other things, like ultimately what you're doing is you're delaying gratification and you're storing your energy for future purchases, whether it's a trip, whether it's a car, whether it's a house. And so you just want to save that in something that people can't manipulate and change and adjust the, the rules of the game. Think about Monopoly. You know, Andy, if we're both playing and I make all the rules every turn and I change them every turn, how are you going to beat me? It's really tough. But if other players know what's going on and you don't, that's really challenging. And then from a practice owner, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, shoot, how much are you paying credit card processors just to collect payment? And there's a better way, even if you don't want to hold Bitcoin the asset, just use the rails you can lower that cost and keep more profit. And I think that's ultimately the way that I would look at it. And I've tried to reframe buying Bitcoin just to exchange in it. Take, you know, take the bad money into the good money type of idea. Or, hey, if you go to Europe, you're going to exchange dollars for euros, just to exchange dollars for Bitcoin. And the price is probably one of the most important things that people zoom in on, but it's honestly not that important. I think the key things that are important is, you know, is there 21 million? Are they still creating new blocks every 10 minutes? And then ultimately, can anyone stop me from sending value to you? And if the answer is they can't, like that's what's really, really important. Yes, the price matters because that brings people in. They get excited, they get FOMO. And I think for most people, they look at the price as an indication of it if it's successful. And right now it's like, oh, it's failed, it's dead. And we both know, and I, I would believe that, hey, fast forward three or four years, it's gonna be a very different story. But yeah, right now is definitely black clouds. I think it's a, a really good time when everyone thinks something's dead to look into it and spend some time. 
but you got to understand what you own. But ultimately, that's a great question. And hopefully the trip down to uh, El Salvador will be good. And uh, I will look forward to watching on uh, Twitter the different feedback from the conference. But it looks really, really exciting. Hopefully I'll get down there someday. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. We'll let you know how it goes. And thanks again for having me. It's 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 fun. Like I said, I have a, a fondness for your audience with two little, you know, furry sons of my own. And so thank you again for all you do. Those little ones bring such joy to life. And without folks like vets to help us take care of them, they wouldn't be around. So I appreciate what your audience does for, for my family and, and for other families as well. So thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Safe travels. Thank you for the time. This was great. Cool. Thanks, brother. As I kind of close again, one of the ideas of what I want to do is talk about really good openings for opportunities for associates, practice ownership around the country. So there's going to be more of these as they come up. But the two this week are a Central Indiana private practice, so equine or kind of GP companion animal. It is in beautiful Hamilton County, Indiana. It is full-time, base plus bonus. The team is fantastic. They are going to be a AHA accredited hospital. They have six doctors and you will have good flexibility on lots of good things. There is a link to this opportunity in the show notes as well. Again, central Indiana, beautiful place to raise a family, good affordable cost of living for those that want to buy a house and can't afford it and where they're at, coming to Hamilton County. It's a great spot. And then the other one, maybe you uh, are like, well, Indiana weather kind of sucks. I would much rather prefer to be on the beach. So what about a beautiful practice where you can walk to the beach? So Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So Bayside Animal Hospital. It's a currently two and a half doctor, non-corporate small practice, lots of growth and opportunity. It's been around for about 30 years, new ownership back in 2021. So there's a young doctor that's taken over and really excited about, I think, what the future holds. They're growing and definitely want to uh, expand and hire. So with that, if you're interested in that position, I'm going to put in the email in the show notes as well for Bayside, but it's BaysideVet251 at yahoo.com. And I will put in also the phone number. I need to get him to list that somewhere where I can send you a URL to apply, but yeah, check it out. So there also is no weekends there. So I just wanted to throw that out there. There's no weekends at this hospital. It's important that they are going to get out on time is the other thing they mentioned. So with that, thank you so much for listening as always. And I love feedback. So let me know if there's anything you would like to hear more about or things you want to hear less about. And with that, have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.